We're in Luke chapter 7 this morning, and I'm going to start in verse 36. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn there. Otherwise, I think it's even on the insert this morning, and it'll be on the screen. I'm going to read through the passage, and then we'll pray, and we'll start to unpack it together. Luke 7, starting in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him, asked Jesus, to eat with him. And so he, Jesus, went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster, alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known what sort of woman this is he's touching him, for she's a sinner. Verse 40, And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50 When they could not repay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, well, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he's forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray. Father, thanks for Jesus, and thank you for your word. Um, This morning, Father, we see a woman uh, who knows how much she's been forgiven. And contrasting her, we see a man who doesn't seem to understand how much Jesus offers to forgive him. Let us be like the woman at the end of the day today, that we would know our sin but rejoice in the fact that you've forgiven all of it. So help me to, uh, to teach this well and to communicate it well. And Father, I pray Jesus would be made much of. I pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects. Uh, he would take your word and twist it and deceive us and accuse us. But instead, Holy Spirit, would you use me today and teach us and change us. And I pray all this through Jesus. Amen. This is a pretty powerful passage, and quite honestly, you can read it and probably not need to have me preach it to understand what it's about. That it's clearly simply about understanding our sin and understanding how much Jesus has forgiven us. That You can see the title of the message this morning, You're Forgiven Much. And I don't know if you get that yet, but I hope by the end of the message today, you would understand that the Holy Spirit would convict your heart of how much you have been forgiven. You notice there's no fill-ins this morning. It's just simple. You're forgiven much. So let's unpack the passage together. Verse 36, 
one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. I wonder why. I wonder why did one of the Pharisees want to eat with Jesus? Do you know who the Pharisees were? They're the religious leaders and they were, they tended to be very religious themselves. In other words, they had all of these burdens and all of these rules that they would place on people. And I know some of you, you've come out of churches, maybe in your past, or you grew up in a family where there was all kinds of burden put on you for religion and do it this way and do it right. And if you don't do it right, well, then you're just, you're not good enough. And the Pharisees had this reputation. They wanted to honor God, but they got confused because instead of simply honoring God and trusting in Jesus' grace, they, they tried to earn his favor. And so as a result, they ended up making up all these rules to follow instead. But their intentions, I believe, were good. Well, I wonder why this guy wanted Jesus to come to his house. Why he wanted him to come for lunch. I mean, did he just want to know more? Had he heard Jesus teach? And I, he, he just had an ear and he just wanted to hear more. Was it... Was it just a matter of social decorum where like, you know, a teacher comes through and we hear him teach. And so I guess somebody's got to invite him out for lunch. Might as well be me. And he takes him out to lunch after the service that day. Or maybe he just wanted to show everybody else, including Jesus, that he was a Pharisee. And this is what Pharisees do. Pharisees are the good guys and we take people out to lunch. Because we're very religious and very kind to everyone. If you were only good enough, I would take you to lunch. That's what, that's what the, maybe that's what the Pharisee is trying to communicate. But in any case, he goes to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. You ever wonder what that meant? I was planning to demonstrate it this morning with some of the middle school students. But our high school middle school students are at fall retreat or winter retreat. And then uh, the fourth and fifth grade students, or fifth and sixth grade students, Dan, our, our kids and family pastor, uh, he actually, a couple times, I think every six or eight weeks, they do a training on a Sunday night before, and they're back there actually serving in kids' ministry this morning. Isn't that cool? Dan's training them and equipping them to serve in ministry already. So they're back there, but I still kind of want to demonstrate this, and I see a handful of guys over here that look perfect for the part. <laughs> what do you think, fellas? Are you willing? Come on up. Mike, Grant, all you guys. Ben, are you willing? There's food involved. You're coming to the Pharisee's house to eat. Now, here's how this would have worked. Let me move the podium so you can see a little better. See, they didn't have maybe the kitchen table like you and I have, where you pull up the chairs and you sit down. They just had a low table. And when they reclined at the table, Grant, you can be first. Come on over. They they would have had a pillow or something. But why don't you just lay down like like you're modeling for a picture, I guess. And you're going to lay on your left elbow... And lean and recline up against the table. Perfect. Just like that, fellas. Just like Grant. Now, it's important, that you, it's important that you eat with your right hand because your left hand is dirty. You do business with your left hand. You eat with your right hand. Okay? So, and your feet, yeah, your feet are out away from the table because your feet are unclean. And maybe they come in and they, they serve you some breakfast pizza. This actually was just delivered by Aaron a little while ago. So go ahead and take some pizza. And there's some, there's some soda for you. Seriously, go ahead. Eat away. Go for it. With your, only with your right hand. If you're left-handed, I'm sorry. You're going to have to just go for it. Sorry, Ben. Are you left-handed, Ben? Okay, well, that's good. Because that would just make a mess of all of it. So here's what's happening. They, Jesus goes to the Pharisee's house, and they recline at the table to eat. Now, in the Pharisee's house, 
Uh, and, and anybody who's kind of, and they had probably had Mountain Dew. That's my guess. Sorry, we only have diet in the office because none of us have metabolisms anymore. So we don't drink the real stuff. So, so they, come, they come to the Pharisee's house to eat. And they're reclining at the table. And here's what happens. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster, alabaster flask of ointment. I won't make somebody be the woman. Don't worry, ladies, you're safe. Unless you really want to. You're, no, but here's what happens. And you're like, well, why does she just walk into the house to stalk them while they're eating their lunch? That's just weird. Who does that? Well, in this day, in their house, the Pharisee's house was probably built around a courtyard, anybody of prominence. And when he would have had a meal like this, it would have been well known. And people from the community would have been allowed to just wander in and hang out around the courtyard and listen to the conversation and and see the important people and what they were doing. All you important guys eating breakfast pizza and drinking Mountain Dew on the stage in the middle of church. Pretty cool. And, and they would have just listened in on the conversation and kind of hung out around the outskirts of the courtyard. And so what happens is this woman, hearing that Jesus went to the... Who's the Pharisee, by the way? Whose house are we at? Grant, you be the Pharisee. They, they all came to your house. They all come to Grant's house, and she hears about this, that Jesus is going to be there. And for whatever reason, she decides to go. Because I wonder, did she hear Jesus teach at some point in the past? Did she hear his offer of forgiveness? Did she trust his offer of forgiveness already? And so she wanted to go follow up with him. Maybe they had a side conversation somewhere in the street. I'm not sure. But for whatever reason, she wanted to go see Jesus. Thanks, fellas. You're welcome to take that back with you. And Good work. Give him a hand. So when it says, by the way, next time somebody tells you to sit up straight and eat, you can just tell them, hey, Jesus reclined at the table. (laughs) But verse 37, the people who were there around watching would have been astonished because it says, behold, a woman of the city. Behold, you know, I mean, some of your translations might say when a woman of the city, but that does it injustice. Because really it's behold, it's look, pay attention. (laughs) There's a woman from the city who's here who was a sinner. First we might just think, oh, it's a woman from town who stops by to listen to the conversation. But Luke, the author of this gospel, Luke was a doctor and he was Mr. Detail. He added all the details in. And he says, he just makes it clear, she was, who was a sinner. She was a sinner. This isn't just a woman from the city. This is a woman of the city. This is likely a prostitute of some sort. Well, when she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she went to see him. When she found out where he was and what he was doing, she went to seek him out. And she brought an alabaster, alabaster flask of ointment. Alabaster is a soft stone. It's white. You can carve it really easily. If you would uh, hold a piece of it, even up to about an inch thick, up to a candle, you would see the light coming through it. It was just a really soft stone. And it was often carved out into small vials that, that women would carry perfume in. Or in this case, it says ointment, but really it's probably a concentrated oil or perfume that she would have used. And, and she probably carried it around her neck on some kind of a cord or necklace and 
She had it in her hand at this point, and she comes in and she stands behind him at his feet. So now you got the picture, right? They're, they're reclining around the table, and she comes in behind him at his feet. I, I don't know about you, but I know really until I studied this and I started to understand what it meant to recline at the table, my thought was always like, okay, so she comes in and she just bows down at his feet, like at the table, and that's weird. Like, hey, Jesus, scoot back a little bit. Let me bow down at your feet. It wasn't like that. It was, he was laying down, and she comes to stand at his feet, and she's going to anoint his feet with her perfume. Clearly, she had it in her hand. Luke is trying to tell us that was her intention. She, she was coming to anoint his feet with this good-smelling perfume. But when she gets there, nothing goes quite like she had planned. I mean, I wonder if she went and she was planning just to, to interact with him and, and thank him for what he had done for her. And yet when she gets there, it, it doesn't, everything goes wrong because what happens? Standing, at, standing behind him at his feet, weeping. My guess is she goes in, she figures out where Jesus is, she walk, works her way around to that side of the table and she gets there. And just all of a sudden, she can't help but weep. And uncontrollably, the tears start coming as she starts to, to remember what Jesus has done for her. Have you ever had that experience? Like you, you just, all of a sudden, it hits you like a wave and you realize, man, he has been so good to me. A sinner. Someone who deserves nothing but his wrath. And that was this woman's experience. She didn't mean for that to happen, I don't think. But uncontrollably, she's sobbing. So much so, you know, I know she's sobbing because her tears are wetting his feet. I guarantee you that was not her plan to come in and cry on his feet. But she sees him and she starts weeping at what he's done for her, what he's offered her, which is forgiveness and acceptance. And she's crying so much that his feet are getting wet. Well, she had no towel with her to dry him off. So she unlooses her hair and lets it down and kneels down and begins kissing his feet and then wiping them off and drying them. And my guess is by this point, all the people who are there kind of gathered around in this small courtyard at the Pharisee's house are silent. One, because of the woman who came in. They had seen her. She was a woman of the city. They, they had seen her on the street. They knew who she was. They knew her reputation. Why is she here? I hope you would never feel that way about somebody who may come to our church. I hope you would never look at them and go, why are they here? And instead you go, hey, look, they're here. That should have been the reaction. But no, I, guess, I would guess they're quiet. And then she goes to Jesus, who's the honored guest. But maybe not so honored. We'll see here in a second. Maybe he was just there out of duty in terms of the Pharisee inviting him, but First, she starts crying. Okay, this is getting awkward. <laughs> Imagine you're in the crowd. You're there, and in the corner, this woman just starts sobbing. This is, this is strange. What's happening? So much so that Jesus' feet are getting wet. He would have taken his sandals off at the door, and he's leaning there with dirty feet. And then she kneels down, and she undoes her hair. Now, you've got to understand how big of a social taboo this was. The Talmud, which would have been rabbinic writings, traditional writings on, on how to live that the Jewish people would have studied, uh, declared that you could actually divorce your wife if she let her hair down in front of another man. 
And some rabbinical teaching actually says that it's equivalent to a woman revealing her breasts. Like that's how taboo it would have been to do this in public. And she lets her hair down. And they're like, oh, this is really awkward. And what's she do? She takes what is what God says is the glory of a woman, her hair, and he, she starts muddying it up with the mud and sand from his feet where she had cried on him. She, the people there had to have been shocked. Behold, a woman of the city stopped by. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. See, even though things didn't go according to plan, she kept going on with her plan. She fumbled her way through. Fumbling through her tears, she kept to her plan. She began kissing his feet and then anointing them with her perfume. This was a job of a household slave, by the way. But she does it for him. I wonder... Well, I'll I'll wait till we get there. The, The Greek word here for kissed literally means to kiss again and again. Almost like you ever have somebody thank you for something and like they can't say thank you enough. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. No, you don't understand. Thank you. I mean, that's the idea. Like she, she kissed his feet. She was just so thankful for what Jesus had offered her. And she's a mess at this point. Her hair is muddy. Her eyes are watering. Her nose is running. She's probably kind of gasping for breath on her knees, wiping his feet off, anointing him with her perfume. Maybe it was the same perfume that she had used to entice men in the past. And I don't know about you, but if I was standing there watching maybe from the other side around the table, I'd feel kind of embarrassed for her, would you? I'd I'd feel a little embarrassed. Like, does she know what she's doing? This is strange. But the fact that she keeps going shows me and tells me that she didn't care what that guy thought. She cared what Jesus thought. And her eyes were on her Savior. And it makes me ask myself and maybe ask you, what about us? Do we care more about what everybody else might think when we decide to give honor and glory to Jesus? Or do we worry about what Jesus thinks? Are you willing to honor him even if everybody else might be embarrassed by you doing so? Even if it isn't the socially right thing to do, are you willing to honor him? You know, I talk about this a lot when Maybe when you experience a blessing in your life, in our culture, uh, God, generic God, can mean anything, right? I mean, everybody believes in God. We live in a polytheistic culture, to be real honest with you, and one that's antagonistic to, to the true creator. So I would say, don't just say, yeah, God really blessed me with this. No, name him. <laughs> name him. Jesus really blessed me with this. See what happens. I'd encourage you, though, name him. Or are you too self-aware to honor Jesus? Maybe in public. Maybe in church. Maybe in church. Maybe with your family. All this, no, Dan and I have been talking. I know one of the things that he's going to try to do is just encourage parents that night at that, uh, that meal on the ninth. Because I think all of us know that we're supposed to lead our families. Right, guys? We, we know we're supposed to lead our families, but... It's not that we don't know it. It's like, how do I do it? (laughs) It's kind of hard. And I feel strange and I feel weird because no one's ever shown me. And he's going to try to help with some of that that night. And it'll just be a 
You won't even realize that it's happening. I probably just gave it away. I just stole all his thunder, but it'll be a fun night. I hope you can make it if you have kids. Well, let's keep reading. By the way, before we do, let's notice what Jesus does as we read these next verses. He doesn't turn and look at the woman and say, who are you? What are you doing here? Why why are you kissing my feet? I know how sinful you are. He He doesn't kick her and tell her to get away. Pay attention to what he does. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, just thinking to himself, you could see the thought bubble maybe. You'd hear his voice over if this was on a movie. If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she's a sinner. Up to this point, Luke hasn't recorded any words that are spoken, but he starts to record some of this man's thoughts. And I have a feeling this might give us a clue to why he invited Jesus to his house. Because Jesus was claiming to be a prophet. He, people were saying he's a prophet, that he's, he's come down from heaven to, to, to bring good news. And so this guy invites him over. Let's find out really if he's a prophet. And what happens? The woman comes in, starts crying over his feet, anointing him with her perfume. And he's thinking to himself, okay, that answers my question. Clearly not a prophet. If he was a prophet, he would, he would kick that woman away. He would kick her to the curb in a hurry. I know I would if she was over here crying on my feet. He would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner, he thought. Wow. Simon, and we find out his name is Simon here in a second. It's not Simon Peter. This is a different Simon, Simon the Pharisee. Some think maybe Simon the leper who shows up another place in scripture, who was healed by Jesus. Simon was full of judgment on this woman and ultimately on Jesus. At this point, I just wonder if he's thinking, um, all right, well, I guess that answers my question. Let's hurry up and just get this over with and we can get through the meal and then everybody can go home and I can get back to what I was planning to do today anyway. Clearly, he's not a prophet. Clearly, he's not. He doesn't know who's touching him. In fact, He doesn't probably even realize that she's a prostitute and she's trying to come on to him. He doesn't understand what is going on. There's no way. But actually, Jesus is about to reveal to Simon that he is, in fact, a prophet. He knows what Simon's thinking. Look at verse 40. Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I just wonder, I just just picture the scene, right? You saw these guys sitting around eating pizza. They're sitting around eating, and I wonder he takes a bite and he looks over at Simon Maybe his mouth half full. And Jesus says, Simon, I have something to say to you. Maybe Simon finishes his bite, takes a drink. Okay, say it, teacher. Say it, rabbi. And my guess is you could have maybe heard the disregard or at least the indifference in his voice. Okay, say it. Go ahead. Tell me, what is it? So Jesus responds like he often does with a short story, a short parable. And he tells this story. He says in verse 41, he says, A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he, the debtor, the the money lender, he canceled the debt of both. Now imagine that story. Let Let me try to put this in perspective for you, okay? He tells this story. A denarius 
was about one day's wage. It was actually a Roman coin, but it would have been about what someone made each day for their labor. So to have a debt of 500 denarii would have been almost two years worth of wages that this person owed the man. To have a debt of 50 would have been two months worth of wages that the other man owed him. Now imagine for a second that you have two, just you, you know in your, in your head, what, what's, your, what's your annual salary? What do you make in a year? Now imagine you have that much, multiply it times two, imagine you have that much credit card debt. And what are you going to do? Or even just two months. And then suddenly you get a phone call from the creditor not saying, hey, you need to pay up or we're coming for the house. But they say, hey, by the way, I know you can't pay it, so it's forgiven. What would you do? You'd be like, who's pranking me? Who is this? Who is this? You wouldn't believe it, would you? But if it was true, you would be unbelievably thankful. Now, just as a side point here, this passage isn't teaching about debt. It's actually comparing the debt of those debtors to our debt to God for our sin. But just bring this up because we're heading into a time here where uh, as we're, we've got a building committee working on some possible renovations for our facility and some other things where there'll be the potential that we may uh, look at the option of, of having some debt to be able to help pay for some of those things as we go forward. You just need to know the, the Bible, when it speaks of debt, um, some people wrongly say that the Bible says you should never have any debt. If you can show me that in the Bible... I'll hear you, but it doesn't say it. The Bible says it's, it's foolish to have foolish debt. Debt you cannot repay. Debt that's like way above your means. So to have two years worth of your wages in credit card debt, that, I'd call that foolish debt, right? But in fact, most of the teaching in the Bible about debt is actually geared towards the lender who has evil and wicked practices towards how they're lending money to somebody who's a debtor. Now, hear me, I'm not saying go out and get in a bunch of debt. That would be foolish. I'm just saying, let's be careful that we understand what the Bible really teaches about that maybe when we start to enter into some of those conversations as a church, okay? But back to this point, you have a moneylender here who's clearly a good one, who's clearly a generous one, rather than up the ante when they couldn't pay, like a wicked one, maybe like a credit card company. He forgives it because they couldn't pay. And Jesus asks, he says, now which of them will love him more? Remember, they're eating. Simon thinks for a little bit. Everybody's standing around listening. Simon answers, well, the one I suppose, I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. That'd be my guess. I mean, kind of, yeah, Simon's kind of like a duh. I mean, that's, that's an easy answer. And Jesus says, yeah, you, you've, you've answered Rightly, you've judged rightly. Simon maybe kind of shrugs his shoulders. Well, yeah, it wasn't that hard. I knew that. Then turning towards the woman, he looks away and he looks down at the woman at his feet and he starts talking to Simon, who's maybe on the other side of the table. And he says, do you see this woman? Simon, I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Let 
What Jesus says, do you see this woman immediately? He's communicating to Simon that, you remember that parable of the debt, the one guy who had 10 times more debt than the other? Well, here's the one who has 10 times more debt than you. Clearly she's a sinner. Clearly she's messed up in ways that you never have. And her sin publicly, externally is huge. But you still owe some things too. You still have some debt yourself, Simon. So let me show it to you. See, when I came to your house, you gave me no water for my feet. You gave me no water for my feet. In that day, Jesus walked around in sandals in a dusty climate. So what happened to their feet? They got dirty. You and I, we live in northern Indiana, and this week is a little nicer. But last Sunday, if you were here, it was freezing cold. And if you went to somebody's house and and you got to the house, what's maybe a kind thing that they would do is you come in and start to unbundle. They might take your coat and throw it on the bed and get it out of the way for you, right? It's just a kind thing you do when you come to the house. Well, when you come to somebody's house in Jesus' day, you wash their feet. It's just a kind thing to do to help them out and help them get settled. But that doesn't happen. Simon didn't do that. It makes me wonder, did he wash everyone else's feet but not Jesus? Why didn't Jesus' feet get washed? But the woman does it for him. See, what I want you to see here is we start to see that this woman, yeah, she has an awful amount of sin. And Simon's looking across the table at her thinking, boy, she's messed up. I'm glad I'm not messed up like that. But what Simon doesn't realize is that he's just as messed up. And you and I, Tim Keller, he's a pastor in New York City, says this, we are uh, horribly more wicked than we could ever imagine. Yet, because of Jesus and what you're going to see about this woman, what you're going to see in Jesus is we are unbelievably more loved than you ever dared hope. And we're a lot like this woman. Yeah, her external sin may be greater than ours and greater than Simon's, but internally we're still just as messed up, including me. And Jesus begins to point it out and reveal his sin to Simon. The point we fail to recognize is that we're needy before God as the worst of sinners. The the, the sin problem is the problem. We are all messed up. No one is good, not one, the psalmist writes. We're all in need of a Savior. Jesus says, I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet. But she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Wow. She humbled herself in a huge way to do for Jesus what Simon failed to do. Look at verse 45. Jesus goes on. You you gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. Now, when you walk into somebody's house, unless you're Greek, you probably don't give somebody a kiss. Maybe you do. If it's your mom, or if it's your mom's house, she gives you a kiss. Right? But generally, you go to somebody's house, you welcome them, you might do what? You might shake their hand. Maybe you give them a kiss on the cheek. But, but probably you just shake their hand. And same thing. Jesus is like, I came in, you didn't even greet me. <laughs> you didn't even greet me, Simon. Yet this woman just can't leave me alone. What gives? You didn't anoint my head with oil, Jesus says, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. Uh, anointing with oil in the Bible is a sign of honor, of blessing, of consecration, can mean a handful of things. But in any case, Simon didn't do it to honor Jesus, yet this woman does it 
on his feet with her perfume, with her expensive perfume. Olive oil would have been easy to do that with. Everybody had olive oil. But she uses her most expensive perfume to anoint him. And then here's the haymaker. Here's the one where he really lands the blow. Therefore, I tell you, Simon, her sins, which are many. Remember, Simon thought to himself, he doesn't even know who that woman is. He doesn't know her sin. He doesn't know how how much she's messed up. He doesn't know how vile she is. Jesus says, um, I tell you, this woman sins, and there are many. Jesus is like, hey, you you didn't think I know. Trust me, I know. I know. They're forgiven. They're forgiven. For she loved much. But he who's forgiven little loves little. Now, don't misinterpret this passage that she's forgiven because she loved him. That's not why she's forgiven. It's the other way around. She loves him because she's been forgiven. Because Jesus forgave her sin, she responds in love. How do I know that? Well, immediately right after what it says, but he who's forgiven little, he loves little. But he who's forgiven much, loves much. Listen, do you want to love God more? Do you want to love Jesus more? It may start with unhardening your heart and recognizing how sinful you and I are. Now, as I say that, you've got to remember, there's, I would commend to you, there's two ways, a healthy way and an unhealthy way to remember your sin. The unhealthy way is this. The unhealthy way is I remember my sin and I sulk in it and I dwell in it. And woe is me. I'm so messed up. I can never be good enough. No one will ever love me. In fact, I don't know that I could ever even do good enough to serve God. So I'm just going to kind of punish myself uh, because I guess the punishment he put on Jesus wasn't really enough. So I'm going to punish myself and stay away in the shadows and never let myself forgive myself because I'm a greater judge than God and I don't forgive myself even though he forgives me. And I'm just going to stay here and sulk in my sin. That's a bad way to remember your sin. Not to be identified by your sin or find your identity in your sin or in what you do. The good way to remember your sin is like this and like this woman. I was a sinner. Like Paul, I was the chief of sinners. I have no right to come before God. I deserve all of his wrath. Which is exactly why I love him so much. Because Jesus took my wrath on the cross. And you see, when I remember my sin in that way, that it's sin that's been dealt with by Jesus on the cross, that I deserve punishment, but Jesus took it for me. When I remember it that way, remembering I deserve nothing before God, then suddenly my love increases. And I love him much. And and my love for other people increases because I don't think, oh, they really owe me. (laughs) They didn't come see me when I was uh, hurting or they didn't do this for me or... And God didn't do this for me. And he didn't. No, 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 no. Jesus did everything for you. And you deserve like this. No, not even that much. And he loves, he loved you so much he forgave you. And when you understand and remember your sin in that way, then it results in rejoicing. And like you say maybe to your kids, you turn that frown upside down. And there's joy. <laughs> That's this woman. For she loved much because she was forgiven much. But he who's forgiven little loves little. And Jesus is basically saying, Simon, and if, if this is Simon the leper who would have been healed by Jesus of his leprosy, Simon didn't realize how much he had been forgiven by Jesus. 
Simon, you love little because you don't realize how much you've been forgiven. But she loves much because she's forgiven much. And by the way, you're just like her. In fact, you're worse. Look at what she did compared to what you did when I walked in the house. Her sins were not forgiven because of her love or her deeds, but because of her faith. The reason we show such little love for Christ sometimes is because we forget how sinful we are. So let me remind you from Ephesians chapter 2 as we close. Paul writes this, And you, you were dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. If you've become a Christian, if you've repented of your sin, remember this. You, you were dead. You were following the course of this world. You were, in fact, by following the course of this world, you were following the prince of the power of the air. By, Jesus is saying by not following him, you were following Satan. Paul continues on, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind, just like this woman. Then two of the greatest words in the Bible come up next in verse 4, but God. (laughs) But God. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace you've been saved and raised up with him and seated with us with and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. For we're his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Verse 49, then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this Jesus who even forgives sins? Because they knew that only God could forgive sins. And Jesus turns to the woman. Notice he doesn't say because you cried so much, because you wept so much, because you poured out so much uh, perfume on my feet, because you did all these wonderful good things, you're saved. No, he says what? Your faith has saved you. It's because you believe I can save you. Your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. Loved ones, your faith has saved you. If you've trusted Jesus Christ, your sin, which is as great, if not greater than this woman, has been forgiven. It's been wiped away. You don't believe me? Keep reading Ephesians. You are clean. You're not a sinner. You were a sinner, and now you're a saint who still sins. But one day you won't sin anymore when Jesus totally redeems you. You were dirty, but now you're clean. You were unacceptable before God, but now you're accepted because you're in Christ. Never forget that. You have never trusted Jesus. You too can be saved. See, you're, you're walking in darkness. You're still a child of God's wrath. You're... you're You've sinned, and you deserve his wrath. You you deserve the punch of his wrath. But you need to know that Jesus Christ on the cross, the man who never sinned, the God-man who never sinned, he took the punch of God's wrath for you on the cross. And his only requirement of you is, if you would come to me in faith, if you would simply believe, you would be saved. 
And it's the same call to you today. If you would simply believe, put your faith in Jesus, you too, like this woman, would be saved. You'd be clean. And you can go on with guilt. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Amen? Let me pray. We're going to take communion together and uh, sing and call it a morning. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thanks for your grace to us through him. Um, You are wholly good to us because of Jesus. I thank you for that. Father, I pray this morning as we leave, we would um, remember the depth of your goodness to us. Uh, the, the vileness of our sin before you. But in doing so, we wouldn't find our identity still in our sin, but we would recognize that, Jesus, you've dealt with our sin, and our identity is now in you, and that we're forgiven, and that it would stir in our hearts a great, great love for you. Much love because we've been forgiven much. And Father, I pray for those who've never trusted you that today might be the day they cross the line. Today might be the day where they take what they know and they put their faith, Jesus, in you. That you would save them and their faith would save them as well. Father, we love you. Thanks for Jesus. We pray all this through him. Amen.